This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Hi guys, today we've got a special guest on the podcast. His name is Max McLean. So he is an award-winning actor and he's also the artistic director of New York City-based Fellowship for Performing Arts. And he played C.S. Lewis in the film, The Most Reluctant Convert, The Untold Story of C.S. Lewis. So guys, if you're listening to these podcasts, you know, one right after the other is Norman Stone who directed and wrote this movie and then Max McLean who starred in this movie. So it was a very, very fun conversation with both of these guys. And I asked them a lot of the same questions because I wanted you to kind of see this from the artistic side for as the director and then the artistic side as the actor. But with this interview with Max, we talked a lot about specifically, you know, how he got into acting, you know, what what kind of led him to that type of life. You know, some of the misconceptions about what it means to be an actor, you know, whenever you kind of get into it and you think that, oh, people are just going to be overwhelmed with your looks and your talent, but that you actually have to have the chops, you have to practice, you kind of have to get yourself out there. But then beyond that, we're going to talk about The Most Reluctant Convert and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the story of C.S. Lewis because he is a guy that, you know, history should have forgotten because he was a smart guy that went to, went to Oxford and you know that's you know reflective of thousands of people before but why are we still today talking about this guy and why has he sold a quarter of a billion books and each year that goes by we he sells even more books like this is a guy that last wrote stuff back in like the 1950s and 60s and we are still just like basically sitting and hanging on his every word so we spend a lot of time talking about that we talk about how max's conversion to christianity as an adult kind of you know attracted him to the story of c.s lewis because it was a similar thing for c.s lewis it wasn't this you know big dramatic conversion experience falling down on his face and crying it was more of an intellectual pursuit and we see that with his time with J.R.R. Tolkien uh, from their time at Oxford, which is depicted in the film. And guys, the film really is fantastic. The Most Reluctant Convert, it'll be in the show notes. You can check it out for yourself. Family-friendly, you can watch it with the entire family, even if you're not terribly familiar with C.S. Lewis. But then I also asked him the same thing I asked Norman, which is, hey, if you had to delete all of C.S. Lewis's catalog but leave one book for all of humanity for the rest of time, which one would it be and why? He actually gave me two, but his first one was very, very interesting. So you need to get in there because I have a unique story with that particular book as well. But then we talk about kind of what is coming in the future and what's coming after this film. Is there going to be more stuff that comes from him working as C.S. Lewis? So I think you guys will be excited to hear all of that, but I'm not going to keep him from you any longer. So without further ado, let's get into it. Max McLean, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Well, thank you, Kyle. Good to be with you. I'm so excited to have you on. I will say, though, and we'll get to this in a second, I'm a little weird to hear your American accent because yeah. for about an hour and a half of my life, you sounded vastly different, but we'll get there. So mm -hmm. part of the reason why I guess you're so uh, good at going back and forth is that you yourself are an actor. And most that's people right. uh, might know a professional actor here or there, but that's not a common thing that I guess most people are used to. So I guess for you specifically, Max, just to start broadly, what kind of got you into, or I guess what got you interested in the world of acting? And then how did you kind of get into being able to do that on stage, in film, and on television professionally? 
Yes, yes. Well, I got into acting in college because I had a fear of being in front of people. So I went to the weird part of campus and took an oral interpretation class in the bug bit. Uh, and uh, I spent my senior year in the drama department learning how to use my voice, how to interpret scripts, how to uh, use my body, because an actor is uh, is essentially his his voice and his body and his mind is like his musical instrument that he mm-hmm. plays. Uh, then I left uh, uh, the States and, and uh, did my graduate studies in London and uh, so I, I and did a lot of Shakespeare. So I, I really uh, understood uh, the British language and the use of language there, uh, came back to the States and started to develop my own productions, began, uh, 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 started my own theatrical production company, Fellowship for Performing Arts, that's now based here in New York. Uh, we do theater. In fact, before the pandemic, we had three shows on the road. Uh, one was here in New York. We and and we we really focus. Our mission is to produce theater from a Christian worldview, meant to engage uh, a diverse audience. Diverse meaning uh, intellectually diverse, mm. which I think is the only kind of diversity that's not allowed. Um, <laughs> True. So so uh, so that's that's my uh, background and how I got into theater. So specifically, the, the thing I find interesting is about the company that you developed is there are mm-hmm. people that get into acting. So we're talking about people that went far beyond just, you know, doing drama in high school or in college or yeah. something like that. You actually went into it, but then you actually started a business. You didn't just leave the business to be you yourself, Max McLean, the actor. So talk about that transition a little bit, because that's not a transition that everybody makes in that yeah. industry. Yeah, that's that's uh, good. Actually, to uh, I think any artist, and, and I think a lot of your audience would appreciate this, any artist has to have two skill sets, really. He has to be really good at his art, and he has to be really good at promoting it and selling it and, mm-hmm. and giving, having an opportunity to, uh, to uh, get it out there. You know, uh, I've, I've been aware of a lot of talented people that just didn't have the discipline that it took to do all the auditions and, and make all the rounds that you have to do it. You know, in my case, though, uh, because I'm an adult convert to Christianity, and and as such, I wanted to find a way to integrate my faith with my work. Uh, so the reason I developed the company was I, I wanted to. Uh, I knew people weren't going to produce the work for me, so I had to produce it. Hmm. Uh, and and the one thing, and I tell young actors and directors and theater people, I tell them all the time that. The theater, uh, the theater and the film business doesn't really need more actors. You know, we got millions of those, got a lot of directors. Mm-hmm. We need more playwrights and we need producers because those are the people that make things happen. If you don't have the script, you don't have the foundation. And then, of course, the producer, just like the producer in any business, he's got to get all the pieces together to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that is you're talking about that I remember hearing Jack Carr, so number one New York Times bestselling author, you know, several times over. He's talked so much about the fact that it's not just about writing the best novels possible. It's about everything else. It's about making sure you're doing social media and making sure you're sending out emails to your mailing list and all those different things. And I think some people think that the world's just going to be overwhelmed with their talent and everyone else is just going to take care of the other things. Podcasting the same. You think, well, I can just buy a laptop and a microphone, plug it in and have a podcast. It's like, well, yeah, but if you want more than dozens of listeners, 
entrepreneurs is probably going to take a little bit of grinding. So you mentioned there, Max, uh, that you became a convert to Christianity as an adult. So Mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit about that, because like I grew up in Oklahoma. That's the belt buckle of the Bible belt. So you're a Christian just because you were born on the red clay. That's kind of how it is. And then you kind of decide for yourself at some point. It's a very cultural Christianity. So did you grow up in kind of a a Christian household or was there any kind of Judeo-Christian ethic? And I guess kind of give me the SparkNotes version of how you accepted it as an adult. Well, I was, uh, uh, we grew up in a, in a, uh, a nominally Catholic home. Uh, it was important to my mom and dad that we go through the first communion and, and go through the confirmation process. And, and I do remember as a young child kind of being, uh, engaged in that. I mean, it was information and, uh, and, uh, uh, opening up to, a uh, to a world that, you know, is not your day-to-day life. In fact, I do remember as a very young child, uh, uh, in fact, I had this memory hit me recently. Uh, I think when I was seven, uh, my neighbor invited me to vaca- vacation Bible school. You know mm. all about those, right? Yeah, and you're, of course. And you're supposed to invite people, right? Sure. Uh, I went, and it was uh, it was at a Baptist church. And being Catholic, Baptist is weird, mm-hmm. but I really felt the love of the people. And uh, there was a I I I went every day, tremendously expectant. Uh, and, uh, I also found that, uh, this is very strange that I, I wasn't particularly good at drawing in those days. Mm. Uh, but I found there, I drew really well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. you know when I, uh, or at least they told me I did. Uh, but, but no, I, I, I got a sense. I says, wow. You know, all of a sudden, you know, there's a, there's a discipline, there's a, there's a clarity that is uh, infecting. So all these things, it, you know, uh, sort of came together in my 20s because uh, I wasn't thinking about it. Uh, I was trying to make my own way. Uh, uh, you know, I wanted reality to, to uh, revolve around me. I didn't mm-hmm. want me to revolve. You know, I didn't want to humble myself to, uh, to, uh, to the world, you know, to the universe. I wanted the universe to, to humble itself to me. And of course, I think the universe wins every time, yeah. <laughs> right? So, uh, so uh, when I was confronted with the claims of Christ uh, in my twenties, I remember somebody said that uh, uh, found out I was a history major, uh, even though I did my minor was in theater. Uh, this person, very, I'm still in touch with him. He said to me, uh, "Jesus was a person in history, you know, he, it, just like Lincoln, just like George Washington." And that was news to me because I thought Jesus was fairy tales. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, and, and what was interesting, that clicked that, there, that, that Jesus was a real person in history. So that made me uh, go and, and I read John's gospel in one sitting and it came right out of the pages. And, and, and then reading Lewis shortly thereafter kind of confirmed it because he said something and I used it in the film. He says, uh, if Jesus' statements are false, Christianity is of no importance. If true, it is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Uh, and so I uh, I took the leap of faith. And, and what I found was a leap of faith is not a leap into the dark. That's what uh, pagans want to tell you. It is a leap into the light. And if it wasn't a leap into the light, people would come back. They would say, this doesn't work. It's not there. I found that as I walked in faith and grew in grace, 
that that things opened up, that my mind opened up, the possibilities opened up, the world opened up. It was a it was an it was a leap into a whole new glorious world, and so I've been walking it ever since. Well, Max, I find that to be very important because there are some prominent people. Joe Rogan's one that comes to mind that questions whether or not. Jesus was a real person, yeah. right? And there's no, and as a history major, you know this, but it's like, there's no more testifiable fact in all of antiquity than the fact that there was a man named Jesus from the area of, of, of Nazareth, right? Born in Bethlehem that was killed on a Roman cross at the behest of the Jews, right? Like there's, yeah. there's no and, more- and suffered under Pontius Pilate, uh, you know, and, and <laughs> he was the Roman governor at that time. So uh, there's, there's all that's there. And, and I think most people, and I think even Joe Rogan himself, would would uh, you know if really push comes to shove he would acknowledge the reality of the historical person of Jesus uh, the uh, the you know the question everybody has and and it's the it's the whole premise of our movie mm-hmm. is when 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 he calls you he calls us to repent and and Lewis didn't want to repent he right. said you know he uh, he took a a, 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 a a sort of a spiritual inventory, an emotional inventory, uh, and he said, "What? What did I find? A zoo of lust, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds." He said, "My name was Legion, and so I don't want to deal with that, you know." Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you you're, you're you're forced to confront all that, and of course, uh, Lewis gave in. Now, in Lewis's case, is really kind of interesting the way the film works is because Lewis had a conversion to God, not the God. He probably had a conversion from atheism to the God of the philosophers, which is kind of a, a, a random, not random, but a, a sort of a, a first principles type of God, uh, you know, kind of deistic, got the ball rolling and, and mm-hmm. left for uh, uh, other universes. Uh, but he, his, his conversion, the one that's the most emotional in the, in the film and the most emotional in our play was the was his conversion to what he says theism pure and simple and and the more i look at that is it was kind of like uh, he believed in the god of abraham isaac and jacob mm-hmm. uh the god of moses it was like he had a, a, a the great i am he was confronted by the great i am and he gave in and admitted that god is god knelt and prayed perhaps that night the most dejected reluctant convert in all england that was his conversion experience that he knew that he was uh, beholden to God, but he couldn't find it. He, he didn't quite get where Jesus fit in until a little bit later. And of course, our film covers that as well. Well, and you've teed up the film uh, a whole lot, so let's go ahead and get into it. So the film is The Most Reluctant Convert, The Untold Story of C.S. Lewis. Guys, you can get there in the show notes. You definitely need to check this out. Family-friendly film. Even if you're not a C.S. Lewis fan or you're not really super familiar with his life, that's part of the point of the movie is kind of getting you familiar with that. Now, one thing, because I've got several questions about the film, but one came up as you were talking there just just now, Max, is, is the fact that you were a convert to Christianity as an adult, just like C.S. Lewis, is that what's kind of ingratiated you and maybe attracted you to some of his work? Because this film is not the first thing that you've done in your career that's centered on the life and work of C.S. Lewis. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's this sort of, uh, there's this kind of apologetics of admiration in the mm-hmm. sense that when you admire something, you ascribe to it, you, 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 uh, you reach for it, you know, you say, I want to be like that. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's kind of what Lewis has been for me. <coughs> the, uh, uh, he's given me a picture of, of, uh, of how to live my, how to live, uh, my life, how to think through the challenges of life, um, and how to explain Christianity to others that, uh, are reluctant. You know, they may have these preconceived notions of what, Christianity is uh, uh, that uh, they don't want to be a part of, and and so you have to separate sort of some of the 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 cultural accoutrements of it from the reality of the resurrection and the reality of the person of Jesus. Uh, that you know he came from someplace else, entered into our created world. That's the story that we have to believe. Otherwise, we're just uh, you know the the alternative is. Uh, this universe uh, came upon you know, something came out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the world looks like it has uh, uh, the uh, uh, the appearance of uh, uh, that it's finely tuned, but it isn't. You know, it's uh, you know every effect has a cause except the universe. That's what we're, we're supposed to believe, <laughs> right. and it doesn't make sense to us. Uh, and so, what happens is when you uh, you 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 express. Uh, Christianity is a positive, uh, and you also show what's the alternative. Um, in, in Lewis's case, and it, it's it's in the film, uh, you know his uh, his conversion. He was a vigorous debunker of Christianity uh, because he he was a vigorous debunker of Christianity uh, primarily because of the problem of evil. Right. You know, he lost his mother to cancer when he was nine. He had a terrible relationship with his father. He uh, he experienced firsthand the, the 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 butchery of of trench warfare in World War One, and he came to the conclusion that either there's no God behind the universe uh, because it, it it's it it doesn't make any sense, or the God who's indifferent to good and evil because of his experience of evil, mm-hmm. or worse, an evil God. Uh, and then his friends kind of talked to him about, well, what's your assumption there? He, you know, his argument against God was that the universe was so cruel and unjust. But then his friends asked him, well, wh- where do you get this notion of cruel and unjust? Right. You call a line crooked because you have some idea of a straight line. If you're calling something cruel and unjust, you must have some picture of something good and merciful and just and and and, uh, and good. So because if, if the universe has no meaning, which is what you're arguing, you would never know it has no meaning, you know, because meaning wouldn't exist. And so this got Lewis into uh, into the the, uh, the realm of out of atheism into his theistic and final Christian perspective. Well, and Max, that's why I think apologetics in general and the study of apologetics is important for Christians because I know that there is some Christian pushback to the world of apologetics. I've heard Christians say before, purported Christians say. If something is so apparently obvious, we shouldn't have to make all these arguments as to why it's true. It should just be readily, readily available. And I want to ask that person, I was like, in what other areas of life is that true? Yeah, like, there's no know, no area of life. You you have to. And, and of course, the, you know, Scripture tells us to be prepared to give a, a, a reason for the hope that's within you with gentleness and respect. Uh, I think particularly nowadays because, uh, you know, Christianity is becoming— uh, uh, debunked at a at a rapid pace, and mm-hmm. and uh, the universities uh, it it's it, it's cons- it's considered irrelevant. 
you know, it might be privately engaging. You might, you know, want to have a little quiet time. You might want to go to your little church on Sunday, but it has no relevance to get, to getting ahead in modern life. Right. Uh, and that's kind of what our young people are hearing. And they, they, they need, that needs to be responded to. Well, and I think that it's very important because at the very minimum, Max, it gives you the confidence to enter into those discussions. Because as I tell people all the time, because, you know, here uh, in a little while, I'm going to be doing a speech in front of my entire church talking about how to engage pro-abortion arguments. And it's Mm -hmm. like part of my training is going to be calm yourself. The first one Mm -hmm. to raise their voice loses. The first one that goes crazy and calls somebody a name loses. And it's like, again, we do need that gentleness to be able to pull people towards the truth, especially when you know that your worldview or your stance on a particular issue is the moral one, because that's the thing that you were kind of talking about earlier. When someone's like, you know, ah, there's too much evil in the world. Well, in order to know what evil is, you have to know what good is. You need a moral law with which to differentiate between the two. And then you got to figure out, well, how the heck did we get that? Is it just because we used to be goo and then we were fish and then we were chimps and now we're us. And we just sometime in the 1700s, somewhere in Europe, we decided, okay, this is a way that monkeys should treat each other. And this isn't a way that monkeys should treat each other. Like, again, people want to talk about making sense, right? That certainly doesn't make sense at all, but most people just buy it hook, line, and sinker. But now I'm getting off into a sermon. I need to kind of bring it back. Yeah, but that was good stuff. Thank you for that. (laughs) Well, Max, I I appreciate that. But here's the thing that's interesting to me that doesn't quite make sense. And I asked uh, Norman, you know, the director and the writer of this film, I asked him the same question. So I'll be curious about your answer is after all these years, I don't know when C.S. Lewis last put, you know, pen to paper or something like that, but it's been decades and decades and decades. Why is C.S. Lewis still so interesting to people? Because Mm -hmm. plenty of writers have popped up and gone away. Plenty of writers have written, you know, tomes that, you know, people love and appreciate and teach in school. But I have a book list on my website called The 100 Books Every Modern Christian Man Should Read. And I've got, you know, a marriage category and a money category and a philosophy and a literature, but only one author of nonfiction has their own category. And that's C.S. Lewis. That's because (laughs) I am incredibly reverent of the things that he wrote. I don't worship at the altar of C.S. Lewis by any stretch of the imagination, but the things that he wrote, I feel like are so profound and so sticky, but that's me. And like, I understand why I think it's cool, but why are so many Americans and so many people around the globe, millions and millions of people per year, still buying his, his books and still reading his words? That's a good, good question. You know, uh, just before Lewis died, his uh, his uh, his attorney, his the, it managed his literary estate, asked him, "What are you going to do about your literary legacy?" And mm-hmm. Lewis wrote back, uh, said to him, "Oh man, you know, five years after I'm dead, no one will read a word I write." Wow! How wrong was he? Wow. Uh, and it's just, you know, I'm sure Norman might've told you this, but, uh, since he began writing in the thirties, uh, he published some 30 odd books on various subjects, uh, with such erudition and such, uh, uh, imagination that he sold, uh, almost a quarter of a billion books. Uh, it's very likely that he sold more books this year than he did last year and will sell more books next year than this year. That Mm. doesn't happen to dead writers. Uh, and why is that? Well, you know, he was a, he was a scholar of the first rank. His field was medieval and Renaissance literature. And in that field, he read everything from the Greeks to the moderns. He had a steel trap mind that could recall Everything he had. I mean, it was almost photographic. There's stories about his his uh, ability there. That once he read it, mm-hmm. it was locked in. Mm-hmm. It stuck. But beyond that, he had this magnificent ability to uh, 
translate all that knowledge from his reading into magnificent prose and speech. And he did it all under the headship of Christ. Yeah. Then you add to this along the lines of what you're talking about, the apologetics, because I think he's actually the key to the modern apologetics movement that happened after the post-war, is because he was such a vigorous debunker of Christianity that when he converted, he never forgot what, what it felt like to not believe. Right. He says he, he says something very interesting, I, and I I thought about it, I haven't got my arm around it, uh, my brain around it yet. But he says a believed idea feels different. He he, doesn't, he said, feels different than an idea that's not believed. And he says, I believe there is but one God, and that Jesus Christ is His only Son. I believe in prayer, the second coming, in uh, uh, in judgment, in heaven and in hell. And and he also says, you know, when 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 you 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 run into difficulty, uh, he said well, he was thinking in terms of World War II and the bombing of Britain. But he says when bombs destroy our homes, talk of Armageddon no longer seems fanciful, as right. in this weak piping time of peace. And in a certain way, people can make arguments in these weak piping time of peace that they don't make when they're in the fire. I think that's absolutely the case, and you see that all throughout his writing, and you see that whenever you talk to people that have a reverence for C.S. Lewis and his work, and again, yeah, there are people that want to quibble with some of his theological points and all that, but I think for me, he was... He wasn't, okay, he was just a regular guy, but he was exceptional as well, but he wasn't a professional Christian. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a theologian. He was just so deeply involved in the work of Christ here on this planet that it just came out in all the things that he did and all the things that he touched, which kind of gets me to this because he talked about, you know, wrote 30 plus books. He has all these other different writings, but I want to know from you, and then I'll tell you what Norman said after. I want to know <laughs> that if you personally had to delete all of C.S. Lewis's catalog of writings, except for one book. So you could leave one C.S. Lewis book for humanity. Which one would it be and why? Wow. Well, I can't have two, huh? You okay, can't have one. two. It's got, you can tell <laughs> me what the other one would be, but you know, the rules of the game are one. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, it would be the screw tape letters. Okay. I do. And I'll tell you why, because he really gave me a picture of spiritual warfare that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Uh, I don't know if you remember the very first letter of it, he, uh, screw, you know, the, uh, for those that don't know, Screwtape is a senior devil in hell who's instructing a junior devil on the art of tempting an unsuspecting human on earth. And uh, in the very first letter, Screwtape is sort of bragging about his accomplishments, how good he is at his job, you know, and and uh, he gives he tells a story of one such accomplishment of a man in the British Museum who is reading something of significance that's, uh, that Lewis is worried about. He says, uh, not Lewis, Screwtape is worried about. Mm. He says, uh, I saw 20 years work beginning to totter, just go out the window. But I struck instantly at the part of the man that I had best under my control and suggested, isn't it just about time for lunch? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> subtle, but yeah, works. Subtle, and, uh, and it gets him out of that moment. You know, and and uh, that's how certain spiritual warfare works. And it, 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 the, what he goes on in that letter is is very profound. So I would say that one, and, and the second one, only because uh, of the breadth, it 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 reveals the the breadth of his knowledge, and it's these essay collections that he has. Uh, the one I really like is called God in the Dock, 
And he it, just the breadth of, of subjects that he covers. Uh, and he does it with such erudition, such wisdom, such uh, depth of insight, such imagination, uh, and such brilliant writing that uh, I, I, I go back to it again and again. Okay, so I wasn't as familiar with that work, but I, with the screw tape letters, th- there's an odd thing about that book for me personally, Max, and it's that I've that was one of the only books that I started reading. I think I started reading it in college and then I just stopped. And I'm a finisher. Like even if I'm reading a a book that is a a heaping pile of garbage, stinky hot garbage, I will finish it because I have to finish it. I will finish my plate. I will finish the race like that. That's kind of my thing. But I just didn't finish it. And I don't know if it was because I was in a weird place in my life to where the the real contents of the book wasn't going to soak in and be sticky with me, but I did pick it up years later and finish it. But I've always wondered, why was that the one book that just fell away from me? Because that is so completely outside of who I am as a person and as a finisher. So that's why that was interesting. Now, what Norman said was a grief observed. And so uh-huh. the, the interesting thing about, about that is, you know, the screw tape letters is fiction. And then I'm more drawn to C.S. Lewis's nonfiction. But hearing somebody that had his experience Uh, to talk about grief, to talk about loss, to talk about death, what it reminded me of, and it really hit me during the interview with Norman, is that's what the Psalms are, Max. Mm -hmm. Like I'm I'm listening to a pastor, Joby Martin out of Florida right now, go through the Psalms, and there's so much lament, there's so much pain, there's so much embarrassment and shame. And we have this culture now, Max, that doesn't want anyone to feel shame. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Shame is a tremendous motivator. If you're ashamed that that you you know cheated on your spouse or, or that you used to be significantly overweight or that you used to think something that was really, really stupid, I think shame is a great motivator and reminder for how we should model our lives moving forward. So I thought that that was really important. So I guess, do you agree with that sentiment with, with a guy like Lewis that he's able, even as a normal guy, to look at these incredibly big subjects, but without quoting David, without quoting any of the psalmists, makes it feel like a psalm? Or am I just drawing some lines that aren't necessarily? Well, I've been reading the psalms recently too, and I think there's a tremendous, you know, Lewis was really high on the book of Job. Mm. uh, And and he he loved, he, he, you know, because uh, Job talked back to God, you know, and, but he had his comeuppance and he recognized how far that, that goes. Um, and I think the grief observe is a is a. I mean, the very first line of that book is so powerful. I never knew that uh, grief felt so much like fear. Uh, mm. You know, just that insight uh, because he's examining himself, and he never intended for that to be published. He was just uh, journaling, really, his feelings at the at the death of his uh, late in life uh, wife. So, uh, but see, you can make an argument for for each one of his books. Uh, I will say something about screw tape letters that may, uh, may impress you with regard to your own experience. Lewis said it was the, the book that he least enjoyed writing. Right. Yeah. Didn't he, didn't he say that at different points he felt like he had gone too far? Like, well, he, he, he felt like it was all dust and itch and scratch and he had to, he had to uh, remove joy out of his life to get into the mind of screw tape. You know, but but the other side of it is that uh, that helps a lot of people is the book in many ways is autobiographical in that he is the subject. Right. Uh, you know, he he his the uh, the the raw material for the for that book is his own experiences with temptation. 
And I think part of the reason that I was attracted to it again, to come back to it, and this is, this is odd, but I think it's part of my calling is there's a, there's a certain level of darkness in that book. And I seem to remember people talking about how Lewis thought maybe at certain points that he was even becoming possessed because he was trying to literally shake hands with the devil to understand how his minions work. Well, he, and- he stopped right. He stopped writing. And then that book, uh, they, they had eight publishings in its first year mm-hmm. and and they wanted him to write more. And he said, no, I'm not writing anymore. I'm done. Well, it's such an unbelievable work just yesterday. And I won't talk exactly about it because, you know, it's something that we're working on for later. But what, what we do at Undaunted Life is we're here to equip men to push back darkness. So part of the thing about that is we need to inform them of how they can. So yeah. a, the worldview, like critical race theory, why is it evil? Where does it come from? Why should we fight against the ideals of Marx and postmodernism and all those things? And how do we do that in the school board? Those are all things that I want to be able to equip men to do. But sometimes what that causes me to do, Max, is what I had to do yesterday, which I viewed a documentary that that dealt specifically with sexual violence, predation on minors and things like that. And it's stuff that I just, you know, it, you can't just, you know, have that and then just go on outside and go for a walk and just skip around and, and whistle because it's like the level of depravity in our world is something that men are not doing themselves a service or the world a service by covering their eyes, covering their ears and pretending like it's not there. And so seeing a guy that was as erudite as someone like a C.S. Lewis and as smart to go into those areas of darkness, it is at least a lamp to us as you know followers of his work or just followers of Christ to be able to be like, guys, it isn't just about you know, Jesus raining down blessings on you. And the moment you become a Christian, all of a sudden you get a new car and a new house and, you know, two different uh, new jobs that all pay you more. Like this is a struggle and there is darkness here that needs to be fought back. And Jesus has equipped us with the power to do so. Amen. Well, you <laughs> I know, mean, I, that's, here, that's it. That's true. Well, I keep leaning into sermons and I keep getting all excited, but you know, I, I do want to kind of come back to this, but in all honesty, I, I think that you did an absolutely fantastic job so much so that I, I didn't know you were American, like, because your accent, well, let me actually ask that. It seems like a a minor question compared to the other stuff that we've gone through. Like your accent to me, to a, to a non-trained ear. And I didn't go to Oxford. Um, it, it, it sounds incredibly legit. It sounds like exactly what you would expect. Well, if you're doing, if you're doing a film, you, you've got to be, you know, you, you, you got to be convincing. And, uh, Mm -hmm. I I did train, uh, you know, I, I had a pretty good uh, British accent to begin with. Uh, because I live there, so I, I I had the music of it already, but it's the little subtleties that uh, that get get you tripped up and and uh, uh, people you know just like if if a Brit is trying to play an Oklahoma accent, he may get the broad generality type, but he'll yep. miss a little something here and there. Yep. And uh, and so I I hired a vocal coach and we went through the whole script each time, and. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I would, my natural instinct was to, uh, to articulate this, uh, one particular, uh, I would say experience. And I thought that was British and she would say, no, it's experience. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and so I would have to do that. Right. Uh, uh, I would say, uh, uh, I would say, uh, what did I say? I'd say complex, complex. And right. she said, no, it's complex. Okay. You're, you were too fancy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was too fancy that time. Yeah. yeah. And so it was, and so she'd bring me back, but those, there's a lot of subtleties like that throughout the, the, the play that I, uh, that, that I really worked on. Well, it's good to have a coach. Cause then also, you know, if people say, oh, that's an American accent, I'm like, 
Do you mean like Oklahoma or California yeah. or Idaho or Maine? Like that's a lot of different accents. Or New York. <laughs> or New York. Like what even over there? Like if you're from Wales, that's not, you're not going to sound like somebody from Liverpool Scotland. or yeah. Scotland or, or London or Manchester. Like it's all going to be a little bit different and yeah. you have to watch a little bit more than just the English Premier League to get all those different accents. You know what I mean? So, uh, and I know you got a lot of things going on, so I appreciate all the time. We'll make this the last question of the day. And that's just, what are you working on now? Like what are some things that we can see from Max McLean here in the, the coming time? But also one thing that Norman shared with us is that this first movie, The Most Reluctant Convert, is hopefully going to be part of a trilogy and that that's something that is going to be worked on and kind of moving forward. So I don't know how that's going to affect you necessarily. Are you going to be a part of these projects moving forward? Yeah. Give us an idea. Yeah, we, we've, uh, Norman and I, we've just signed a deal together to, to create two new films. Uh, the plan is to go into production next summer, uh, hopefully release the, the first of the two films in uh, 2024 and the second 2025. And the idea is the first film covers his, his conversion. So it's like from, nine years old when when his when his he lost his mother to cancer to taking christmas communion in uh in uh december 1931 when he was 32 years old but like you and i we had conversion experiences we didn't become c.s lewis so right. what 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 made him so unique what made him so different and we're going to explore all of that in the next two films of course you know he died uh, on November 22nd, 1963, the same day John F. Kennedy was assassinated, they died about an hour apart. Uh, and what we want to do is is sort of look at, juxtapose what was happening in Oxford at the Kilns, uh, where he lived his last day and, and maybe what's happening in Dallas. Uh, and then also sort of look at uh, the legacy of Lewis. You know, he died and they both died the same day. Uh, and we're, we're coming up to 60th anniversary of that, one could argue who would have the greater legacy. And I would say it would be C.S. Lewis. Uh, I mean, to be honest, like, and I pay attention to politics and I'm respectful of history and obviously I'm very partial to American presidents and their impact. I don't think it's even close. I mean, it's kind <laughs> of like, to be honest, and I know this is going to make a lot of people mad, a lot of people, and this has nothing to do with what we talked about, but some people that died, quote unquote, too soon, elevates uh -huh. them in people's uh, brains beyond their actual talent level. So a guy like Kurt Cobain and Nirvana, that's an okay band, but people talk about them as if they're like top 10 band all time. But it's like, if Kurt Cobain didn't decide to eat a bullet, are we having this conversation? And I think you can have that debate. So I don't personally think it's really debatable between a guy like JFK and his mm -hmm. legacy. Perhaps if he had lived longer, if he had lived till C.S. Lewis's age, you could, you know, then the comparison might be different. But again, quarter of a billion books, you said it yourself, and next year will be more, and the year after, even more beyond that. And all of JFK's accomplishments, accomplishments had to do with politics law and his sexual piccadillies. Whereas like what CS Lewis was dealing with is he was dealing with eternity and with people's yeah. souls. And so I don't know that it's even comparable. So I'm so excited that you're going to be on, on board for the next two projects. And this, the next one, especially around the time when the BBC kind of brought him on the radio to talk about God and to talk about Jesus and heaven and all that. I mean, that led to mere Christianity. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, th they gave him a national platform because people needed hope. Uh, you know, and he and and he probably had uh, after Churchill, perhaps the most recognized voice in all England. 
Absolutely incredible. And yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that, that you're a part of this project. You're a fantastic actor. I'm really glad that you're lending your talent to the story. But as of for now, that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? No, it's, it's terrific. Look forward to doing this again. Thank you. Well, you keep making movies and we'll keep having you on. All right. Max <laughs> McLean, thank you for coming on a Daunted Life of Man's podcast. Thank you. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Max McLean. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the only link I've got for you today is a link to the film, The Most Reluctant Convert, The Untold Story of C.S. Lewis. You can go to the website. Make sure you check it out. Guys, get some popcorn. Set everyone down on the couch. Have a good time. It is a fantastic, fantastic film. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event, or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, Keep pushing back darkness. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.